here at ACO Radio, American Communications Online, or any affiliated stations or websites are not responsible for what guests, hosts, or call-ins may say. All programming is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Hello? Welcome aboard, all you ground troops spinning around smartly on the planet today. We're excited to be here and be alive and well on planet Earth. And we've been watching all the people around the world gravitate and navigate. And uh, we're here in America, for those of you listening out of country. We know you are out there. We see you on the board. So thank you very much for listening in because without our listening audience, we probably wouldn't do this. No, we probably would because we like to archive too. So today isn't only about a live radio show for everybody on iTunes and Spreaker and Stitcher and Spotify and Booberry and all those places that we do for iHeart, our main company. But uh, we're doing this for American Communications Online and TJ T Radio and our group called Ace Folklife today. So today we have our president of our club, uh, Richard T. Knight of Georgia. And he and I have found somebody that we think you're going to like today. His name is Benny Pelham of Georgia. And uh, he's got a lot to talk about because he has served 84 years <laughs> alive and well. And he is still cognizant, conscious, and we're really proud of him to be an American. And we're very proud that he is a Navy veteran, and we're very proud of him for being uh, one who has been a spiritual path with us. So we're hopefully going to bring him back on Sunday to discuss the rest of his show. But without further ado, let me get, first of all, my co-host, the president of our company, uh, Honorary President Richard T. Knight. Richard, hi. Would you like to introduce yourself for today's listening audience? Hello, TJ. Or Teresa, or both, or whatever. Here <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you are today. <laughs> yeah, whoever we are what today, almost. You have 
Slytherin, which group are you in? Okay. Yeah, it feels like that. So uh, how yep. are you? Today we're doing East Folk Life, and we're interviewing a gentleman in Georgia where you are from, and you are the Ace Folk Life president. So this is the first day you're stepping up to be the actual ACO president and bringing on somebody in your own state, Benny Pelham. But uh, you want to tell people a little bit just about your background uh, there in Georgia. But I know you were born in California, but just real quick so Benny's guest and our people will know because you're now the honorary president as of 2021. So tell just a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, I'm a metaphysician, a theologian, uh, an ordained minister, an ordained bishop. Uh, I was a licensed investigator for 40 years in 16 states. Uh, I've been federal service with the Army. I've done federal service with Department of Justice as uh, inspector, and I've also done uh, state service with Georgia with um, the Juvenile Probation Department for six years. So there's a little bit about me. I mean, I'm very open-minded. Uh, I have studied metaphysics for over 50 years probably at least, and uh, I'm very sensitive. Um, I believe in all things spiritual, all things paranormal, all things UFO, all things extraterrestrial, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So that gives you a very, very wide parameter of exactly who I am. Uh, I wear many, 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 many hats. <laughs> many hats. You do, and you've been helping me with some radio shows since February of this year, I know of, and he has eight years' experience with Blog Talk Radio. And as your host, I'm T.J. Morris, as uh, says on my brand, but my name is Teresa Jeanette Thurmond, and I am an agent, publisher, writer, and a radio host and broadcast media person of nine years. But I've been in television, I guess, since I was age three for KNOE TV, and I've been working in all over in and out of country, but I loved my 50 years with the government from May 67 till uh, May 2017, but I am now retired, and this is what I do now is I help different associations and groups of people, uh, including our UFO association on the weekend, but uh, today is Thursday. We're going to have our veterans uh, back intact with Ace Folk Life and uh, Benny Pelham today, and we're going to mix and match some of our topics for Ace Folk Life history how we're going to tell a story like we've been doing for years. I got started back in the hills of Kentucky, Bill Monroe Foundation. I'm also a member of BMI Broadcast Music Incorporated out of Nashville and New York, and we're broadcasting out of New York. But Benny Pelham and Richard are in Georgia, so let me bring on Benny Pelham. Benny, I know I apologize for not being here earlier for a sound check, so I understand from earlier you are speaking with Richard. How do you feel about coming on without your sound check? <laughs> Are you okay? I just hope you can uh, hear me okay. A little low. Yeah, you'll have to use your radio voice today. Get you some water. I'll, Make I'll sure you're right there. Can you hear yeah. 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 I'm I'm happy to be with you and your audience and uh, and with Richard. It's uh, I just thank you for having me on today. Well, Benny Pelham, 84 years old, of Dalton, Georgia. Is that it? That's where it. you live yeah. now. I'm in the uh, oh. outskirts of Dalton, right? 
outskirts of Dalton, Georgia, D-A-L-T-O-N. All right, Benny, 84, is that correct? Give us the day you were born, where you were born, and give us a little history (laughs) of your American, right? Before you were a veteran, you were born a baby to somebody in the hills of not Kentucky, but are you from Georgia? Are you native-born? I never asked. No, I was born in uh, in uh, Cisco, Georgia. That's uh, in Murray County, Georgia, north of uh, Chatsworth, Georgia. And uh, uh, April the 11th, 1937. And uh, that was a very good year. It was a vintage year. Well, tell us what you know about it and why, you know, <laughs> I guess you're an American being born in Georgia, although yeah. they may be secret. In the Union, I don't know. Maybe Texas will for all we hear these days. <laughs> but give us give us an idea of what you think Georgia was about, based on your lifestyle, and before you became a veteran at uh, eighteen or twenty. But okay. let us know yeah. what yeah. it was like. Did you grow on a farm? Or uh, and I, you sent me and Richard something, so I'm gonna pull it up here. But uh, that's real detailed information. Uh, but yeah. just start. Richard and I can ask you questions if you need prompting. But, yeah, you uh, can uh, start. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I was raised in the country about three miles uh, east, northeast of Chatsworth, Georgia. And uh, we we were in a very uh, poor setting when everyone was in those days. My dad worked at the talc mine. We lived uh, pretty close to Fort Mountain, where the Talc mine was on Fort Mountain. <clears throat> and two of my brothers also worked there. And uh, later, uh, my dad uh, worked in the talc mill in Chatsworth, Georgia, which was a major employer at the time. And uh, talcum, uh, as you know, goes into car tires and to make up for the ladies and, and all of that. So it's a pretty pretty good industry. Yeah. It, uh, it, it was, I'm sorry. Is it talcum powder? Is that yeah, what we're talking about? That's, that's the source of it. It is, yes. Oh, it's the source of talcum. Yeah, that's what the it is. The powder. It, it's uh, made from talc, <laughs> T-A-L-C. And wow. later, uh, my dad uh, worked at the Lockheed, uh, uh, before that, the Bell Bomber plant in Maryland, and then uh, later on down in Lockheed in Marietta. And uh, he had a heart condition, and he finally retired out of that. But as a boy, um, I, you saw the part where I was kind of like a runaway kid and, uh, and and working at the skating rink and hanging out in Chatsworth and whatnot. And uh, uh, I, I just uh, came up very poor back there. And, and in the, a little bit later, when I got just a little older, I raised a, uh, a cotton crop in the east of uh, Chatsworth there with a uh, one-horse plow. And uh, later on, uh, in another county, I raised another cotton crop when I was very young with uh, another horse and another plow down there. So uh, you might say I had uh, good exercise. Pardon me? What year year were you horsing and plowing? Uh, What year was this was maybe 49, 1949, uh, long in there. Uh, wow, I wasn't even born yeah. yet. <laughs> long time ago, yeah, yeah. Born in 51. 
and fifty. Wow. We moved so to uh, were... uh, from there to Woodstock, Georgia, which is uh, northeast, I guess, of uh, Marietta, where Dad worked, and that's how come I did another, made another crop down there with another horse, and and when when I went in the Navy uh, with all that walking and whatnot, <laughs> I didn't have any trouble marching because I was well exercised. <laughs> So you didn't have to have an education since you were a plowboy. They they made a yeah. movie about uh, get, Gomer Pyle was a plowboy, wasn't he? Gomer Pyle. Did you ever watch Gomer uh, USM? Uh, I know Eddie Arnold. You know, they used to bill him as the Tennessee plowboy. And, Tennessee uh, plowboy. Yeah. So you're uh, my education. Uh, as far as the education goes, uh, Teresa, uh, we went to a one-room schoolhouse in the uh, country, and the boys, the older boys, in the wintertime would have to uh, go out in the woods and cut what we call kindling, and uh, the the heart of uh, rotten pines and whatnot that could be ignited pretty well. And we'd walk to school, and we had a uh, a heater inside the schoolhouse that burned coal. And so we'd have to start the fire and then have the room warm when the teacher and the other students got there. Things have changed a little bit now <laughs> from that. Yeah, I saw a lot of those in Kentucky, one-room schools and church up in the hills up there where I told you Bill Monroe lived. So yes, I saw yes. them, but I didn't have to go into Well, I went into some because I, uh, my husband's family still taught at some of those old churches up there in the hills of Kentucky. But oh, yeah. uh, so you did you have a pot belly stove or what did you put the fire in? Uh, it was uh, oh. it was a uh, coal burning heater with the uh, the real the thin flimsy like uh, pipe that ran up and then on out of the building. We also had out outdoor toilets uh, in those days. Remember and, those? Uh, we had those all the way up till. Yeah. After Bill Monroe landed up there in the 2005, they still had outdoor uh, plumbing, but not at the Rosine General Store, you know, next door at yeah. the barn. Yeah. So, oh, my God. Well, Benny, I don't know. We have <laughs> never had anybody talk about all this stuff, but I know about <laughs> it, so I'm glad you came on. So um, you're back before the uh, – what do they call that when all the money in the banks – help me out, Richard. What's that called? He the was Great alive. Depression. Uh, the Great yeah. Depression. So you lived there? Yeah. yeah, I was Did you just live on the uh, north side of the Great Depression. I believe that was Roosevelt that took us off the uh, gold standard and would allow people to have one uh, $10 piece of gold. My grandfather showed me one one time, and uh, so they had to turn it in. And then later, when I was a teenager... I used to could go to the bank and, you know, you could get a silver dollar for a dollar. But uh, by the time I was, some, I guess it was around 1960, maybe 59 or 60, they finally stopped uh, backing the dollar with silver and simply had on there the, uh, something like it was a, uh, a federal note, you know, it's basically just paper with a promise that it's good. <laughs> Well, how did you get into the army with no education? If you strictly well, I had, plowed, I went, uh, that's a good question. I went uh, seven years, of course, in the country, and uh, 
we were taught by a teacher, and then sometimes it would be just uh, somebody that wasn't a teacher that would kind of look after us. And being kind of challenged or inquisitive, I've always tried to learn things. And uh, so when I, by 1955, I went to Huntsville, Alabama, and my brother was there recruiting a friend of mine and uh, named Bobby Kluwer, now deceased. We hitchhiked uh, over there, and uh, he uh, tested us and then sent us to Nashville and from there on out to San Diego. And so I was in the Navy for what was called a kiddie cruise. It was like you get out one day before you're 21 or something. And so after I got out of boot camp, they sent me to the commissary store in Millington, Tennessee, near Memphis, the Naval Air Station. So in there, I worked in the beauty of the not the beauty shop of all things. I worked in the uh, the meat cutting department, and uh, then later they moved me into the office, and so I worked in there administratively while I was there, and then maybe a couple of years there, and they sent me to uh, the USS Northampton, which was the only ship of its type. It was uh, a light cruiser. CLC-1 was its, its number, had an extra deck and the world's largest uh, radar uh, up at the top, so it would it would rock from side to side in every other way. It was very uh, rough riding. Uh, it, we were in the North Atlantic, the, uh, I believe it was the second fleet, and we had an admiral on board with a, with a marine detachment, of course. Uh, on the tail end of it, we could accommodate a helicopter, and uh, so I stayed on there until I got out. I believe it was one day before I was 21. When I came back to Dalton, I worked uh, in a, a supermarket for a little bit and with a uh, plumbing company some, and so I went to uh, school on the GI Bill at Dalton High at night, and uh, I'll try not make this too long for you, that there is a but anyway, they tested me, and I, I placed in the 11th grade, so they didn't. They let me just jump because I, I could do the work, and I stayed in that. I didn't. I didn't go for the 12th grade. I, I decided I'd go. I was working at a carpet mill, and I, I didn't really like what I was doing, and uh, I thought, well, I'll just go back in the Navy, I think. And I went up to Chattanooga, and took a, a GED, and passed that. So when I Went in the service back in the Navy that time. I I had a GED as uh, as education, so I taught myself. Uh, like I said, being a storekeeper striker, I taught myself how to type, and uh, had to read up real fast and take a bunch of correspondence courses, and that's what kicked me off. That's that set me off in the Navy, and so uh, from there I served in, like I've told you before, in the, uh, Omaha, Nebraska. On, first on the Saratoga, then to uh, uh, then to Jackson, Tennessee, Jackson, Mississippi, Omaha, Nebraska, then on down to New Orleans, and that's where I retired from in 1976. How many years did you get to serve? Uh, about a 20-year retirement as far as uh, with extra, <laughs> what do you call it? Uh, yeah, with your credited time and whatnot. So, so I got out... Uh, 
I was in trouble uh, seriously with uh, with uh, with pinched nerve and back troubles, and so I, I got out uh, because my nervous system was being affected and whatnot. And I went ahead and got out. Uh, couldn't stay any any longer because I was having trouble sleeping and stuff like that. So, but anyway, that took care but of you that. Put in twenty years. You yeah. you actually put twenty years in the U.S. Navy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you retired. Pardon? What level? You went in the oh. so you go in the boot camp and you're E one yeah. and you're lucky yeah. if you get an A school. At least when I went through in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. And yeah. Then, like I told you, I was a corpsman HM three, but yeah. they uh, I had kids and they I came back in as a four by ten on four twenty nine eighty five, uh-huh. and then I had a leap year every four years. They said they could charge me. 36 years, 4 32, I guess 32-year contract. But oh. uh, my A school was Corman, but I served in IS and security. They sent me to Millington from Balboa to Millington <laughs> like you did. Yeah, you I went, did. And I went to Chattanooga, too. I went to Chattanooga. <laughs> How about that? I went, exactly, yeah, I went, I went Balboa, Millington, Chattanooga, then back to uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, but I went back to Houston. So you're a, uh, let's see, I went HM3, then four, five, and they wouldn't give me, I, I made it up to first class, but yeah, uh, the second time, but they said because uh, my my nurse that was in Hawaii, her daddy ran the, was in the CIA, was one of the CIA guys, but I was in yeah. intelligence at Great Lakes, so working in the IS. So I uh, crossed over because I was in law enforcement, criminal justice, not corpsman, and she was yeah. real strict. She was a nurse. They wouldn't make me a first class because I wouldn't be a nurse. So that's oh. my part of it. What happened to you? Did So what were you called, a mechanic, well, a bosun's uh, mate? Uh, no, coming out of uh, boot camp, I was uh, like a, a seaman, you know, uh, uh, a recruit while I was there, and I had two, two straps and uh, uh then when I got to, to Memphis, I took the firearms training and first aid training and whatnot. And uh, as time went on, I, I made seamen first class. Seamen. And, uh, yeah, a free stripe. So that was seamen. And then, then when they uh, transferred from there to the Northampton, uh, I was assigned to the supply office there. And uh, I made... Uh, third class petty officer there and that's what I was when I got out and went to the uh, later in to Dalton and school when I came back home I was I was a third class coming off that and so uh, when I went back into the Navy let's see along the line if I could it's been a long time long time but anyway I made uh, see on, yes, on the Saratoga, I, I made second-class petty officer there. And then uh, later, when I got in the Navy Reserve Training Program at Jackson, Tennessee, I made first-class petty officer there. And then, ah. uh, and then later, at, uh, when I arrived at Omaha, uh, I got the Chief's uh, uh, E-7 promotion. and. Uh, so I was a storekeeper, and it involved supply and clothing, 
food and accounting and a whole bunch of things, logistics, and that's what it was called in those days. And so well, I've been I got on the ship. I think I've been on the Saratoga. Is that what you said? Pardon me? What ship were you on? What did you say? It was, it, uh, I, it, the first one was the Northampton, CLC-1. I've been on that one. one. Uh, what was that? Uh, oh, it was the USS Saratoga. Uh, I the think CD. I've been on the Saratoga, unless it's it, been – why do I know that so well? Let me look it up. <laughs> Well, it's it was, not it was home, uh, uh, home ported at, uh, at uh, Mayport, Florida, so you may have been on that ship. Let me see. Well, what I'm trying to remember is what came into when I was running over at Sink Pack Fleet, USS Saratoga. Now, I know I was on a lot of the uh, flat uh, aircraft carriers, you know. Yes. So, so you were assigned to the Saratoga. That's a big deal. You made second class there, maybe sixty. Yeah, I did, and my assignments there was I worked in the commissary office and in the, the regular storekeeping, and then uh, from there into the supply department office where the supply officer and his assistant uh, functioned over six different supply divisions. So I ran yeah. the office there, you know. Pardon Are you me? telling me you were on the you were the supply officer on the Saratoga? No, no, I worked for the supply officer. Uh, okay, uh, I'm the had, because I think it came to, I think it came over, uh, I'm thinking it came over to Sink Pat, or, you know, Pearl Harbor while I was there is what I'm thinking. I'm uh, not sure. No, I couldn't, I don't think. It was laid over. down. Uh, that was it, laid down in 52, so it wasn't that one, was it? No, it wouldn't have been the Sarah. She were, uh, Sarah operated in the uh, Mediterranean uh, when it was away from Mayport. In, uh, okay, I'll have to go when, see. I was, when I was on it. Uh, I left it in 1964. I wonder why I know the name so well. Has it been in movies or something? Uh, yeah, probably so. Uh, I think the uh, original Saratoga back there, uh, had some action in World War II, if I'm remembering right. Let's uh, see. Her that, first trip to the Norwegian Sea. NATO exercise is Mediterranean. You're right. From yeah. 59 to 67. So she yeah. was in a six-day war broke out. And 68 was sent to Philadelphia to modernize it and overhaul it. So by yeah. 69, she was back in the Mediterranean, Okay. And then uh, 72, back to the Pacific Fleet to Vietnam War efforts. Absolutely. So uh, the ship's aircraft, they had a crew of hundreds of missions. So uh, this is good intel. This is good history. Back to the Mediterranean. Now, it says yeah. it was one of two aircraft carriers, but that was a big deal to get assigned to yeah. a carrier. It was, it was In, a four-stall uh, class carrier. And, uh, yeah. Uh, I remember when the uh, uh, the Cuban uh, Russian the Russian Cuban crisis was underway, and uh, I remember seeing all the equipment and whatnot that was being brought in onto the ship at uh, at the Mayport. But as, as you know, we didn't have to go to war that time, and uh, but they were getting bringing a lot of supplies and vehicles and everything. I remember looking down on the flight deck and Cuban seeing Missile all Crisis. Were you Dang. on there in 62? Yeah. Yes, uh, I was. 
six oh my did, God. You actually, did you actually go out go ahead, to sea? I'm sorry? Did you actually go out to sea on the Saratoga? Yeah. I, when I went, uh, like I say, when I finished my GED and went back in the Navy, I asked for uh, to, to be assigned, you know, to like an aircraft carrier. Oh, okay. And, and uh, so I was on there four years. And, uh, wow. I had one little uh, school they sent me to up in Norfolk if, uh, while we're talking about the ship, and one of the, it was the uh, one of my collateral duties was the uh, backup storekeeper for nuclear weapons at that time, and I never never had to work at it, but uh, I did did go to the school and and uh, served as backup, but they never called on me the whole time I was there to do anything. But you got your nuclear clearance, I bet. Yeah. Top yeah, secret? I had, a, I had a, a, probably top secret, top I guess. Um, well, if you I did nuclear, that. but I don't I don't know back then. I guess they called it that during the Kip missile crisis. It wasn't that long ago. That was during Kennedy, the Cuban Missile Blockade, and That's it served right. in the Cuban Missile Blockade Absolutely. So, in 62. So, yeah. uh, you were on it during that time. Yeah, 60 to 64 uh, is when I was on there. Wow, yeah. So, uh, here's uh, Teresa. Go ahead, yeah. go ahead, Teresa. I was going to tell you, May, it says uh, October 61. Okay, now it has the uh, Guantanamo. Guantanamo. Uh, Guantanamo Bay, July 61. Were you on 60 to 64? Yeah, I was there. Yeah, I was there, yeah. So it was in the Mediterranean in August 60. And then July, Guantanamo Bay, October 61, Cuban Missile Blockade. And then 61, 62, Mediterranean. And then again back to October 62, back and had to serve Cuban Missile Blockade in January 63. Yeah. So then it went back. Mediterranean tour, right? You went back yeah. to the Mediterranean until November '64, or did you? It it kept going to Westpac. It came over, you know, Sinkpac, Westpac, Sailback, Atlantic yeah. Ocean, Pacific. It came over in '73. Oh, wow! Okay, so it did come yeah. over once, and then Desert Storm, believe it or not. So it was still around when I was in. So yeah. it may have come through. Yeah, it came through all the way. It wasn't decommissioned until 94. I was out. Oh, okay. It was decommissioned 20 August 1994. So I may uh-huh. have been on it when it came through for Desert Storm. Or Let's see, I was over 86. It says Mediterranean Indian Ocean, regular yeah. overhaul. It came in in 90. Mediterranean yeah. and Desert Shield, 88. Man, that thing got around. But, yeah, that was pretty prestigious. But you were smart. You well, asked for an aircraft carrier. <laughs> I don't know if I'm smart or not. <laughs> it was, well, you knew what was, to ask for. You got you got some good, uh, you know, good action at least. Uh, aircraft carriers like first yeah. class accommodation, I guess. But you were still enlisted. But by that time, you were second class uh, for four yeah. years. Or now, by the time I got off the carrier, I was second class. That's right. So and you became right, a. It was a comfortable yeah. ship. It had a, it was air conditioned and and all that, you know. <laughs> Even back then, huh? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and you know, too, uh, we had the uh, fire in the AGNC, I believe it was 63, uh, over in the Mediterranean, and uh, number two machinery room or engine room, there was a, a fuel, a preheated fuel line ruptured, and uh, an electric motor of some sort sparked it. And it, it caused a tremendous fire, and uh, the oil fumes uh, through the vent systems and whatnot uh, injured oh a lot God. of people. I believe it killed seven people, uh, including the ship's uh, chaplain was killed in, in the, because of that. Oh, that's so, so sometimes sad. You, sometimes yeah. you have uh, you have sadness uh, to deal with, and the. Uh, I remember one time in the Mediterranean, we were pretty close to the time to go back to to Mayport, and uh, one of the pilots came in a little bit low, and he, he missed the flight deck and come under it just a little bit and hit the fan tail and uh, uh, disintegrated the plane and, of course, killed him. There may, may have been two pilots in that. I remember we got called out. I guess it was at night to uh, go to the to the storerooms and bring uh, shovels and rakes and things like that back there to to clean up the things. So it was kind of a sad situation there. That that particular oh. pilot or pilots they were so close to going uh, to get back home, you know. I wonder if that was my uncle. That's how my uncle was killed when I was a little kid. Falling uh, uh, on a Aircraft carrier, he got killed on the aircraft carrier flying in, and oh. uh, that's strange. I wonder if that was uh, that's odd. That, but there are synchronicities in the world. But yeah. I was on yeah. for Gilmore, but uh, he was in. The, he got killed on the aircraft carrier. Uh, uh, my uncle Gilmore. It was a really sad thing in my life, and that was oh. about the time. Yeah, that's uh, I, I was about ten. That might be right because I was in, uh, I was, gosh, seventh grade, sixty-three. Whoa, wouldn't that be weird if you were on the on the ship where my uncle was killed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you, you know, uh, I had a niece, uh, Jennifer Tanner, that also served in the Navy and 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 aboard ship, but I don't know the years. She's uh, my niece, of course, be a lot younger, so she. She probably would have been, I guess, in uh, sometime in the late 70s or something when she was in the Navy. I'm not sure. But she, yeah. uh, she was shipboard. And, and I had another niece uh, by my brother that worked in the mailroom on a ship out there someplace. And I believe she may have been wow. in, uh, in the Pacific. I think maybe she was. So we've, uh, our family well, has. Well, they until later, right? Because I came through as a test woman, uh, some group of Sierra Mariners, SAM program they called it, but trying to see if women could be around men, I guess, without getting pregnant or something. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, when did they let women? We'll have to do history check on that, folks. But I know they were telling me I was part of the women, but, you know, I stayed true. I was already married anyway by the time I was in the Navy, you know. Yeah. So, uh I went over with the chief petty officer, you know, E7, and 
Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I wound up later marrying a third GS. Uh, anyway, they're dead now, so we won't talk about <laughs> anyway, so back to your story. This is very, very interesting, especially in history later if you and I are connected by just you being on the ship when my uncle was killed. That's, uh, yeah, well, you that were there when something. it happened, right? You were <laughs> yeah. there when it happened? Dang. Uh, Small yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah Because it can't be that many. The fire was actually yeah. very close to where I was. I was in the commissary office, and it was toward the... Uh, stern of the ship, but the vent system apparently did not affect us in the uh, in the commissary office, but it did uh, kill some, uh, suffocate some young officers in the uh, staterooms on up about midship. And, uh, that might be why I know the name so good. <laughs> that, that's so I'll have name. to check it out from uh, my yeah, Aunt Gwen, Gwen Gilmore. She's still alive. Well, uh, all right, so we got you back being a plow boy. We didn't go into a yeah. lot of detail <laughs> on your family, but uh, let's look at your, you got your whole family story. Uh, let's go ahead at this time and mention your family story is on Moonshine or something. It's, it's, uh, yes, it's called moonshineon.com. Moonshineon.com. Now, if you'd yeah. like to... I've got all people up on the Saratoga and listening to all this Navy stuff now, but uh, let's see if Richard. Richard, you got any questions before we move on, or you want to talk some more about Georgia or the history? Because well, we have to... Go ahead. That was a lot of exciting story there. I mean, you know, that's <laughs> 20 years in the Navy. My goodness, and to be aboard of aircraft carrier for four years, and you didn't really go that far away from home, but you still were, you know, in the Cuba missile crisis and that uh, blockade and all of that kind of thing. And then even on board ship when the the fire broke out, which unfortunately killed a lot of service members. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that, uh, I was that's quite, a trans, quite a transition from being a plowboy in the backwoods <laughs> of Georgia to all of a sudden being, you know, a service <laughs> member on an aircraft carrier. That's yeah. that's. Uh, it was it was it was quite a transition. Uh, I had a brother also, Richard. If I could interject, it, 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 uh, he was one of the boys that worked in the talc mine in Chatsworth, and uh, uh, later he ran moonshine across the mountain in a thirty-six Ford with his girlfriend uh, when he was a young teenager, and uh, then he went in the navy. He was a, a, a bosun's mate. And uh, he was the one that, uh, by the time I joined the Navy, he was a first-class petty officer in uh, Huntsville, Alabama. And he was the one that signed me up in the Navy. And uh, later, uh, I, uh, from there, I, I told you I went to the uh, San Diego Recruit Training Command. But this particular brother actually ended up, uh, before his career was over, <laughs> Being the master chief, the command master chief petty officer of the training center there, <laughs> and that's that's a little moonshiner and a talc miller that ended up being right there as the, the command master chief petty officer. I thought I thought that was something uh, something great, you know, as far as the, our name goes, the Pelhams and our traditions go. 
Well, sure. And it's kind but of that, ironic in the way you followed each other, too. Yeah, we did. He was he was in the deck rating of, of Boatswain's Mate. Uh, it, it was uh, in the line rating of the Navy. It was uh, more military-connected. Uh, he, uh, for instance, in some of his uh, Vietnam work, he had uh, landing parties where he a situation where he took some landing parties over, and uh, they're in a, a supervisory-type capacity, leadership capacity, gunnery, uh, deck, and uh, anything like that. But uh, uh, navigation, he had, he had to do navigation. As a matter of fact, he'd taken uh, LSDs, I guess, a small vessel. Uh, he, he navigated one of those. Uh, I believe from San Diego to Japan or something uh, in his career. He was also, when he first went in the Navy, he was on a destroyer. I believe it was uh, Destroyer Escort uh, Tucker, T-U-C-K-E-R, had the fantail blown off uh, by a Japanese bomb. So he, 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 did, he, he, he survived that, but he was in action, Rusty was. Uh, we always looked at him. He was our oldest brother, and uh, he did he did really well in the Navy. Now, what was his name so we can get it on file here? His name was and what, uh, what year? He was Richard Edward Pelham. From Georgia Edward, too. Yes, he was. That's where he was born, back in Murray County, Georgia. Now, where and, would uh, he have gone through maps? Or I don't uh, know what would it was it called maps military enlisted something yeah, I don't uh, know. Let's see. In his day, I believe the boot camp was in Chicago, Illinois area, if I'm remembering right. So that was God, I went there. to Great Lakes. Yeah, Great Lakes. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah, I went there to hospital course school after they let, made me leave Millington and Dallas. Oh, okay. And okay. then went to Denver for IS. Uh, school, so uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was a lot, lot of places for one girl coming back in to be a test. I got to do yeah. a lot of training. <laughs> but Sounds yeah, like I got you, to do Great Lakes. You were in some <laughs> interesting places, yeah. Well, Great Lakes was good for, uh, we had a lot of guys training engineering command, you know, but uh I was a uh, corpsman, but I was trained in the JAG office, but I was taken down in the yeah. basement of the hospital, and the next door was a pathology, and they took me, and every place I went, they'd take me down in the lot. In Houston, it was the goat locker underneath the building, and then in Great Lakes, it was in the underneath the building. I don't know what they got about going underground to talk to you, <laughs> but it was me and another girl and two boys, two girls and two boys that said in our groups, they had 85 in each group, you know, military yeah. command, and then I was the senior platoon officer, and I was serving with President Reagan's speechwriter's son. And okay. he and I, he was one of them they took down. So we were the cream of the crop in the intelligence community. Yeah, and yeah, they told us we'd never get out. They took told us we'd never get a DD two fourteen, but they gave <laughs> us a paper one. Said go put it over. I guess I did. I don't know if I did or not. But it was only for the five months and eleven days training was all they'd give us. 
So it was a real weird, messed up thing. So we were yeah. already in like like life, but I think that's a different plan, intelligence community. They may not had that back then when you were doing it, but by this time, they were in the Cold War. Were they in the Cold War? Did you do anything? Because you stayed 20 years. Yeah, Let's, how far it, up that was part did of the you Cold get? War from the Cuban deal, you know, when that sprung up, that was uh, Khrushchev was in the that's middle of that. And uh, he's he's the one that uh, that sent the missiles over. Uh, yeah, those were so very very. Pardon me. Is that what you, in your mind's eye, that you consider historically, sixty two three with the missile crisis that started the Cold War or the spying think, and all that? No, it, the Cold the Cold War was underway before that. Uh, right after, uh, right after the, uh, as you know, when when Germany was collapsing, the uh, the Russians uh, hurried in there and uh, they uh, grabbed uh, Berlin, as, as you know, and uh, they were very aggressive. Uh, I believe they grabbed uh, several countries around there at the time, if I, if I can remember my history, but. It, it was very, very a lot of tension because uh, after after that war ended, uh, the the Russians basically became pretty much an enemy to to our country, and it, it stayed that way, you know. Right on so up to Berlin the, uh, and the French connection in in Europe. Okay, so yeah. no, I never I never had that in school that I can remember, and I didn't have it in my military history while I was yeah. in the Navy because I was too busy working to learn my history. So you're saying the Cold War, war would have been 45, 50, or during... Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it started right after the... the uh, just when uh, when Germany was occupied, uh, it was already underway. The Russians built, as you know, they built the wall that Reagan wanted them to take down and uh they they were they were very distrusting of everything and everybody and uh, the Russians always have been you, you know in their early history the uh the yellow hordes some people call them the uh the people from the uh the Chinese or area over there actually uh, Ru- Russia was a vassal state to them and had to pay tribute, and uh, the 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 title of uh, a czar, you know, the Russian czar, was a title yeah. given given to the person that was responsible for collecting the uh, tribute throughout the country, extracting gold and silver, and having it ready when the Asians came back to uh, to collect. So they they were actually a vassal country for a long time, and it it. Uh, I guess it's in their psyche, even to this day. They're very distrusting type people. At least that's my take on them, you know, just observing. No, I'm glad you're telling us because you lived through it, and you know what's in your psyche yourself as to how you relate to it, and that's Mm -hmm. important to let down how humans think about it as they lived through it, because I told you, I didn't really, I don't remember that part. I mean, I remember generic stuff. You know, I've got generic stuff in my head. But, uh, you know, where my history starts 
in Europe when we had the underground, and I guess it goes into the movies. I'm embarrassed to say, but I grew up watching movies on TV. You know, we had yeah. cowboys and Indians, and then we also had, you know, all the Vietnam War. We had all those war movies, uh, you know, where they lived in the trenches and stuff. But my intelligence doesn't start until uh, with uh, London, who is the uh, agent in charge, I guess, in European theater for the intelligence community in the that time. And he was uh, – he was he was from that time, and he told us about the intelligence of the, uh, you know, how we started working with the f- people in France and uh, recovering yeah. people from Germany and all the things that were underground. And my husband found a lot of the uh, stuff that Hitler had in the underground and, you know, turned it in and stuff. But yeah. Uh, yeah. we learned intelligence that it came back from like trains and helping people escape. And so that's when I come into it, which is pretty late in the game, but we still had to learn in Europe, the intelligence community was based on the old French. You remember that you probably know what I'm talking about escaping because my husband helped a, a physicist escape in the 80. or was he was in 80 to 93. Yeah, it was the 80s. So uh, escape a physicist that had plans from yeah. uh, the wall before the wall was down. So he had to go over like on the like you do the bridge and you know get somebody out of that you know before. And then yeah. he was there when the wall came down. But those people told us uh, they had back then uh, where you'd go into a restaurant and go into a bathroom for real, flush your commode, and it puts you down to the basement like an elevator in a certain stall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they talk, he talked about the underground, but you didn't – did you get to go off the ship in Europe in the Mediterranean? Yes, did you uh, get to – We do? did. Uh, we did. Uh, one of the more interesting uh, uh, cruises was um, – I'm trying to think uh, – I'm trying to uh, – Trying to remember which ship I was on. Uh, offshore and, uh, leave, right? You get to go offshore. Yeah, uh, we operated with the NATO uh, forces. Yeah. And uh, we went yeah. into uh, Portsmouth, England. And I remember coming from our ship and walking across the battleship Iowa uh, in order to get out to the pier to go on Liberty. And uh, uh, and nice. too, I was on shore patrol, which is a military police, as you know. And we yep. went, uh, we reported to uh, a military station, and the the people in charge of it were British. And the uh, the man I was assigned with for my area of uh, of town was a Canadian, and I kind of got a kick out of that, you know, with uh, all the different cultures that were there and the allies were there. And I remember hey, that. When Pardon you me? were there, when you were doing shore patrol, now when we did it, we had to put on the black armband and then on our shoes or boots, we had to put those leg coverings, yeah, leggings. Did, did you too. have to do that? Absolutely. You did yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a, I never knew that. We didn't, they didn't <laughs> tell us that. So yeah, we did that. Wow. And, uh, I've stood shore patrol in Italy and France also. 
Uh, I found it interesting in Italy they have the Carbonari, uh, if I'm pronouncing that right. It's a, it's a quasi-military national police force that is uh, in the air, ground, and everywhere, sea. Uh, I was paired with uh, with one of the Carbonari, and we went now, over to... International police force, is it international like NATO, or is it separate? Uh, no. I had a friend uh, it, that was in it. Mm-hmm, go ahead. Uh, it it was a, a Italian national police force, and uh, Italian. Yeah, it it was a quasi-military force. This was way back, and uh, we went to their barracks. And I remember as, as a young man, and and uh, the different uh, sandwich meats that they had, and the smell of the, their kitchen, and the extremely low price it, it was I got I bought stuff like they would buy it. But I do remember that and the cheese and, and the wonderful meats and, and breads that they had. And then we went out on patrol, uh, this one man and myself and it was uneventful as far as just being with him, you know, and the experience of it was was kinda neat, thought it was. You didn't have to and bang then, any heads and get them you didn't have to I'm get sorry. them out of the you didn't have to bang any heads and get them out no, of the bars. No, I didn't have to do that. Uh, I had to look at a few people kind of hard, but I didn't have to whack <laughs> any of them. <laughs> I was just hoping my hoping they would respect my uh, my little band around my arm enough. To, you know, oh. <laughs> it was. Uh, did they make you wear quite, a helmet? Uh, or did you no, get just? In those days, we just wore a, a regular sailor hat, you know, the little white hat. Yeah, the little white one. You didn't have to yes, wear the uh, folded one. I think the folded one, one came back in when I was in. I had to wear, I had to wear both. It seems like, uh-huh. but I don't, okay. did you, you never had a fold one like the army had, you know, where you fold up like an uh, envelope. No, uh, we didn't have those uh, in my time. And now they may now have come I in after I left the navy. I had no. a beret too, but you didn't have. Did you have? No. So no. you only no, had had the white one where you could put water in it, and you know, it was just the regular <laughs> white, the white hat. You know, <laughs> that was did what I had. Did. A, did you have the jeans and the blue shirts? Did you? Yes. You yes, could, that's did right. Yeah. Okay. Just, well, I had to wear all the regular that. blue shirt and the jeans, and then we had the. Uh, the white uniforms and then then the wool, navy wool, uh, bluish-black uniforms. Yep, I had that too. Dress Uh blues and your working uniform, the blue jeans and the blue denim shirt and the boots. It's so funny. It's traditional. So it's funny that you were way back and then uh, (laughs) all the way up to the 80s. Now I don't know what they have. We've got a whole nother... Two twenty year, you know, from eighties to the two thousand and two thousand to twenty one. I well, guess there was a time. The there, mm-hmm. there was a time when the uh, uh, the Defense Department. I'm trying to think of the uh, the person in charge of it. Uh, or don't they, ask me. They they changed. <laughs> uh, I believe it was in the Carter administration. They changed the uniforms for. Uh, I believe. Uh, they put uh, put them in suits similar to what the uh, chief petty officer would, would wear, and then yeah. uh, and then later on they 
stop that, if I'm remembering correctly, and uh, they put... I never had the sailor suit. While I was in the second time, I didn't have a, you know, the with. I heard later on they gave them back, too. So, yeah, they but did. I didn't they, have to they, they brought the it women's, back. Yeah, that they was brought, the one that you... They brought it back after I got out, probably. I got in you. <laughs> That, that's so, interesting. Very interesting. Uh, your your background is interesting. Well, so is yours. This is about you. But I'm just thinking. You mentioned when they changed the uniform because I didn't have to wear the uh, men's. I wore a skirt and a shirt, mm-hmm. which was weird. You know, like office stuff. Yeah. You know. uh-huh. Well, let's let's talk about your music now, which Richard may not know about, but let's talk about your, although I could talk to you for hours about the Navy because I love the Navy and I, you're making me reminisce, you know, and I'm sure a lot of that find that weren't in the Navy don't yeah. know, or if they're reminiscing too, you know, so that's historical. We should find out when you said Carter, I wonder why they bothered to change it. Some people must've been wanting to, do that, but uh, that's something historically we'll have to look yeah, up. Uh, that, that, was, uh, that did occur, and then uh, it uh, changed back uh, in later times. As far as my music goes, when I was a kid, uh, my grandpa was a banjo player, and my dad didn't have a banjo, but he could play some. He played it left-handed, and uh, it kind of appealed to me. And uh, mother was uh, was working in a mill or uh, like a turfing mill or something in Chatsworth there, and she saved the money and bought me a banjo, and uh, and I was didn't have anybody to teach me anything, but I figured out kind of figured out a way to uh, to tune it and to, uh, to to learn a couple of little tunes, and I'd take it with me, and uh, when I was working in the runaway boy part of my story I worked uh, at a skating rink in Chatsworth and I uh, slept under the uh, the skating rink and then I was a skate boy in business hours and then uh, put on skates for tips and then uh, swept and cleaned the uh, hardwood floor uh, after we closed and I had that banjo with me and so one year, the man from Milton, Pennsylvania, named Jack Carson, uh, a little short, white-headed man, and uh, uh, probably in his late 60s, maybe early 70s, uh, one, one year he came back and he asked about me, and he, he called for me by name. I didn't even know that he knew my name. That's uh, some of the other boys, and they came and told me. So I went back over, and, and we set the skating rink back up. And uh, so I was continued sleeping like that under the under the uh, rink. And then he moved to, to Dalton, Georgia. And uh, I just went with him. Uh, and uh, it was just unstated I went with him. But uh, at that point, I was sleeping in the back, or sleeping in the front of his uh, Kaiser automobile. Uh, How not were sleeping you? Up. Yeah, that was that was how luxury to me. Pardon me. But how how old were you when you ran away from home? Because oh, I don't I'm have trying, that. 
I'm trying to remember, probably uh, 11 to 13 years old in that range. Now, how many kids did y'all have? But y'all were dirt poor, right? Oh, yeah. Mother had 11 children, two passed on when they were infants. And, That's uh, like so in my family. Yeah. yeah. My grandma had, had two passed on. Uh-huh. We had a large family. So, all right. So we're going to say about 11 or 12, you about had it. You could take care of yourself. Now, my parents were both skaters, so I'm interested in that portion of your history yeah. because yeah. when I was little, my parents, my daddy married my mama, and I asked my mama why she married him. She said, it's the only man that ever paid me attention and bought me a pair of white skates. So he had white, and she had white, and they yeah. hung out, and they got to be very well known as they were real good dancers. You know, he could oh. throw her up and over and uh, doing whatever <laughs> y'all did back then. And yeah. uh, what they call that, the jitterbug? Is a jitterbug? You remember like all that, that boogie woogie? Yeah. And uh, yeah, but they did it on the skate. Uh, they they was did a it professional. That's that's yeah, impressive they, they can do that. I'm sorry. Now, I'm talking over you. I didn't mean to do that. No, I know uh, there's a delay. I'm used to it, but so I apologize to you, too. I just wanted to tell you that, you know, my parents. So tell me about all that skating rink because people don't know that was like uh, what I guess that was the only thing y'all had to do. Was that it? The skating or uh, yeah, bowling? The little boys, uh, if the little boys weren't picking cotton or something during the crop gathering, uh, they would, uh, in my case, dad and some of the local people out of the mines and whatnot would get a card game going in the woods and uh, under the bushes. And uh, uh, I set up a uh, a business, uh, I would go to the down the road with, and and bring back a couple of uh, half gallons of uh, homebrew. I don't know. Uh, some of your listeners may know what homebrew is. It's a form of beer. Quite lightning. <laughs> and uh, I bring it, it. No, it's not that. But uh, I would oh, bring it back to them, and they would give me uh, money. We're doing that, and so then when the skating rink came, uh, we'd go over, get, make a little money, help and set up the the rink, and if we were lucky, we got hired as skate boys. And so when we went to Dalton, I was sleeping in the front of the Kaiser automobile, and there was a man named Baxter Prater from uh, Gordon County in Calhoun, Georgia area. Uh, he built. He he made a deal with Jack Carson. Uh, he wanted him to come down uh, since Carson owned all of his uh, skates and everything and had the expertise. He wanted to hire him, and Jack told him, uh, "Well, he had me with him, and so uh, Baxter Prater uh, built a room in the, on the back of the of the skating rink down there, one for me and one for Jack." And he made a shower for us and served us uh, breakfast meals, too, down there. And then after the rink uh, closed at night, he'd always take us up for ice cream at one of the little drive-in things down there. I remember that. But I would put my money, uh, Teresa, in the uh, my banjo head. 
and I didn't go anywhere, I, but I had I was accumulating a pretty good amount of money. And one day, Jack Carson told me, he said, Ben, go out to the car. I've got a chest, uh, some money in it in the back of the car. I want you to get that and count it for me to see how much is in there. And I didn't know it at the time, but he was testing my honesty looking back on it. I remember as a little kid sitting in my room back there, and I had a, a lead pencil, and I would count it out $100 piles, you know. And at that time, he had more than $5,000 in cash, which would be five or six times that at least today. But that, that was uh, that was in my runaway uh, boy uh, part of moonshineon.com. Looking back on it, he was he was checking me for honesty there, you know. But I, uh, by the time one day my brother that was in the uh, army, he was a, uh, a Green Beret. He was home on leave, and uh, I guess they asked where I was at. And mother got him to bring her over to Calhoun to to check on me, and I was happy to see uh, him, especially in the. Uh, family too that I just got in the car and went home and uh that was the last time I saw Jack you know and uh but wasn't didn't take me long at home so until I you know I wasn't very happy at, at home and uh from there we moved down to well Woodstock Georgia and that's where I did my farming down there you know so that that was the story of the banjo but did you want to know about the rest of my picking or anything Teresa your army? Did you say your? What did you say you did? That you uh, said that was the rest. Of- it was my brother that was a green beret, a paratrooper. Uh, he he was a master sergeant in the in the in the green beret paratroopers. And, so uh, you want to talk about he, that or did? Uh, is that well? The, that's not the petty officer that served on no, the no, ship. No, this toward- is another. This is another brother. He was the army. That, Whoa. Yeah, this one's in the army. Here, this one is. Uh, right, he's well, also. Uh, he's, we'll go back. Unless you want to do the picking first, but. Uh, well, e- either way, he just. Friend. I'll. I'll uh, well, go ahead. I want to cover, cover your picking too, but let's okay, uh, do okay. your army, and then we'll go back to your yeah, picking with okay. the oh, uh, boy. The picking business. Uh, I kept a little banjo. Nobody ever helped me much with it at all, and. Uh, uh, in the Navy, uh, see, uh, I guess it was Omaha, Nebraska. I decided to get serious about banjo playing, and I bought a banjo. And uh bought a, uh, a, a Earl Scruggs uh, instruction book, and it was written in tablature. And each day when I left the command there, I'd go home in the, in the bedroom, and I'd I would read the tablature in it and teach myself the banjo rolls and and some simple songs. And I got better. And then when I went to New Orleans, uh, I found a uh, a person down there that, that taught banjo in an old, he was a college graduate. He had a, he rented one of those old uh, antebellum houses and he had a pretty good clientele built up. But I only got to go to him for maybe four or five lessons before I retired 
and uh, I asked him to what could he do to speed me up, and he showed me some 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 uh, some finger formations, four finger chords up and down the banjo. So when I retired, I took that to Georgia, and then uh, picking with the brother-in-laws, uh, uh, at least once a week we'd, we'd get together in somebody's house and play, and I, and I started getting better. And eventually uh, we had a little band that we played in called the Murray County Ramblers. And wow. We, we played. Yeah, we played around, and in Pensacola we had a little band that was called the uh, the Good Timers, and it it had a man in there that was a retired uh, high school high school dean, and uh, he would he would drive up in his Lincoln and open that trunk up, and and the only instrument he played was a wash tub with a broom handle. You know, did you ever see one of those? Oh yeah, a, well you put a string yeah. in the middle of the tub and your broom handle on the side and ch- you change the uh, the pitch. Uh, he loved to play yeah, music. He would play it night and day. Oh uh, yeah, so that we played there. And then after I, uh, as time went on, uh, back in Georgia, I, I kept playing and getting better. Then I started teaching and taught for three years or more and basic uh, guitar, but I was I was more I could teach more intricately with the uh, five string banjo. So. So I taught for uh, three years. I still still play to this day, you know, so I'm both instruments. Wow. But I just like I just like to do it. Eighty four year old picking you're eighty four and you can still pick a banjo and a guitar. <laughs> yeah. Um the Lord's Dang. blessed me a lot, uh, Teresa. I've been greatly blessed by the Lord and uh, I've uh I can still think clearly, and I still do computer work, and still build websites. So I'm definitely blessed. Wow! Well, we got a lot to talk about. Not to mention, well, well Richard, <laughs> you got some questions for this gentleman here because we can get into the army pit. Now, Richard knows army. Uh, yeah, my husband was okay. army, but Richard does. But. Uh, we can talk about the Army. Richard, do you want to ask them some questions here? Or we can go into the Bill Monroe picking guy that was uh, he worked with. But I don't know if Richard's into music. Richard, I know he's into well, the I Army. Used to, so Richard. I used to play uh, guitar ages and ages ago in my teens. All right. Yeah. Oh. So, uh, like you, I, I took some lessons, and then I, I, I transferred from regular uh String guitar to electric guitar, and yeah. I played that for a little while. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean, obviously you've, you've got a very colorful story going on here. I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, backwoods boy that planted his own cotton and 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 took it to the mill and and generated money off of it and all that kind of stuff. And then of course the roller rink deal, and then in turn the navy. Yeah. And now, of course, you're into music. So, uh, where do we I go just, on from here? I mean, you I know. just love to, I just love to learn. You know, I keep learning as I go, Richard. And uh, oh yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, music. Music, as you know, is uh, it's very interesting and it can be challenging also. So it's a it's a wonderful thing if you got uh, seven basic notes, as you know, and 
counting the steps in between their 12 tones and uh, seven basic notes, the Lord made it possible for an infinite number of melodies that can be written around the world. That's a miracle in itself, you know. True. All the all the wonderful songs that that are out on the airwaves, they're coming out of those seven notes there. That's that seems impossible, you know. Yep. I mean, we got a large history of music in all kinds of contexts and all kinds of cultures and all kinds of. <laughs> it's endless. <laughs> it is. It is endless, and uh, music is it's a wonderful thing, you know. It's. Uh, it, it's a miracle in itself, you know, that, uh, what can be done with it, you know. I don't yeah. read uh, music. I can uh, just the rudiments of it. I can I know the structure of it and whatnot. But uh, the songs that I put together for teaching, I did. Uh, I wrote my own tablature for that. Wow. And it was easier to teach uh, with with my own tablature. You see, so it, it worked. It worked well for me. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. What were you yeah, asking, Yeah, we got to get into the... I was asking about that Bill Monroe guy, because uh, Richard, when I lived up in Kentucky for 20 years, and I was helping with uh, 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 this gentleman named uh, Dr. Doc Mercer. Yeah, Doc uh, Mercer. And yeah. on RFD channel, and uh, he was a veterinarian, and uh, I got one of the first, certificates with the Bill Monroe Foundation, and then they turned out, because we weren't attaching them with no money, we're just, uh, anyway, we had the Bill Monroe Foundation house raised enough money to redo the house in Ohio County, and had Bill Monroe come up there, and uh, you know, at the barn, and meet with the bluegrass boys, but I asked him if he knew any bluegrass, and he does, and then he was telling me he was picking with one of the old bluegrass boys with Bill Monroe, but he didn't get to pick with him, which is not too many people. I mean, a lot of people did, but that was during the Blossom Festival in Indiana. Yeah, but uh, go ahead, tell him about your history with that with one that man. You, oh, yeah, yes, that, was, that. Uh, that was the legendary uh, Raymond Fairchild, uh, banjo genius five-time national champion banjo player. And uh, he uh, started out, he was just very poor over in the North Carolina mountains in the Maggie Valley area. And uh, he would kind of stay at this old man's house. Uh, his name was Sutton. And Sutton uh, had, had gotten some of the boys that could play a, a little music together. And he would put uh, cans on the side of the street a little tip jars. So when the uh, tourists would come through uh, Maggie Valley, they would hear the band playing, and they'd come up and put tips in the uh, in the jar. <clears throat> so Raymond got to stay there some with Mr. Sutton, and uh, he he uh, served uh, meals and whatnot. And he, he he lived with him for a while, and uh, somewhere along the line, uh, Raymond went over to Nashville, caught a ride over there stayed with somebody, some old man over there, let him stay with him a few days, and he was walking on the back streets there of Nashville in those days, and the old white uh, frame houses that, that 
uh, they often, the little publishing companies would, would set up their headquarters and little recording companies, and he heard this music, and he, he came to the door and looked in, and it was Bill Monroe and his band in there, and they were uh, going to cut a record, and they saw him, and, and Bill says, son, come in, <clears throat> and so he come in and said, can, can you play a guitar, and he said, yeah, and he said, uh, make me a good clear D chord to see what you can do with it. And uh, Raymond was a born genius, so he I'm sure he gave him more than a D chord. Uh, he ended up uh, standing in for the guitar player that did not show for the recording. So the recording was recorded, but Raymond was not given credit. He, was just a, he said he was 11 years old uh, on the label, of course, and... Uh, you fast forward on uh, into the future. He was uh, Raymond was playing. He was on the billing at the at the Bean Blossom Festival, and uh, he asked Bill Monroe. Uh, oh, by the way, when Raymond did the picking back there in that in Nashville, after he stood in and played the guitar, Bill gave him a quarter. Uh, a quarter he gave uh, Raymond, and uh, Raymond went on his way. But later in Bean Blossom, Indiana uh, Festival, <clears throat> he asked uh, Bill, he said, Hey, Bill, you remember when I was a kid and come in there and played on that record with you and you gave me a quarter? And Bill says, No, I don't don't reckon I remember that, but if I give you one, says, Hold on to it, it'll be worth something one day, Raymond. <laughs> and that's all he said. And Raymond told me the story personally. And uh, so Raymond died fairly recently, maybe a couple less less than two years ago. Uh, a genius himself. Uh, anybody wants to put that, if want to check on him, he's uh, he's got a, a ton of stuff on YouTube and uh, just under Raymond Fairchild. He played at uh, Nashville. He's been on the Tom T. Hall's show. Uh, he was taken in by Roy Acuff, uh, kind of under his wing. At one time, he was uh, he, uh, Roy gave uh, him some some gold rings, and uh, one of those gold rings, uh, a friend of mine, uh, uh, contractor Don Don Fotip, uh got to know Don, got to know uh, uh, Raymond really well, and then, uh, he looked on on Don like a son, and and he actually let him have one of those uh, rings that Roy Acuff had given him. Uh, you know, before he died and whatnot. But that's the story he told me about uh, Bill Monroe. And uh, but Raymond was a very interesting man. He had uh, he has played with everybody and his brother Ralph Stanley and, and recorded with everybody and his brother. Uh, he had two gold records. Uh, that little boy that got that quarter in Nashville went on to have two gold records on the wall and uh, probably sold three million or more records overall before he was through just playing the banjo, not singing necessarily. How'd you meet him or learn of him? Because you were a banjo player and you'd retired out of the Navy or what? Uh, Well, the way I met him was when I was teaching in Dalton. And uh, uh, my friend Don Poteet from Dalton here, uh, he had been down to the Wink Theater he knew Raymond was going to be down there, and he wanted to hear him. And, and so he went down there and saw some of the magic that Raymond could do on the banjo. 
and he just fell in love with it, and he contacted me to give him lessons. And so uh, we became hard friends and banjo pickers together for years after that. But he, uh, Don went on to visit a lot with uh, with Raymond Fairchild in the mountains, and a lot of times uh, my wife and I would go over with uh, Don and his wife Pam and stay over the weekend. And sometimes, you know, we'd uh, kind of pick around with Raymond over there too. Uh, we got to know him pretty well. But uh, he he was an interesting man. He was uh, kind of a introverted, uh, shy-type man, but extremely talented man. He was a genius, and he played guitar and, and banjo, and, and he, he could play with anybody, anybody. He's uh, Well, I um, respect y'all both. I had a banjo. I had a banjo and a fiddle and a mandolin and several guitars. But my husband got sick with a real bad cancer of uh, well diabetes, and he uh-huh. called them all in Central City, uh, where he was going to dialysis. But that was okay. But somebody's getting all that equipment. Me and my husband played in Nashville and uh, wrote songs and. Uh, oh, I may, my. at the end of the show, I may put Bluegrass Train A-Coming on it, you if go. you don't care, on no, the end of the show. Great. That's great. I'm glad to yeah. hear you're a musician. That's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great. You, 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 uh, looking through your background, it's extensive, uh, Teresa. I commend you for it. <laughs> well, I commend you. You've got... Fifteen more years on me right now. Let's see. I'm. I'll be seventy, and you're gonna. When will you be eighty-five? I'll be eighty-five if the Lord keeps me until April. The uh, April eleventh was a, a good vintage year, nineteen thirty-seven. You just turned eighty-four, again, and I just yeah, turned right. sixty-nine. Uh, okay. Yeah. This this past April. You're April right now, Teresa. I'm 69 as of the day you. after Christmas. I'm that's a Capricorn. Young for a woman. <laughs> that's uh, young when you're I reckon 69, uh, but I used to be the young one. I got to do, uh, I was one of the first uh, cloggers for uh, uh, the Bill Monroe uh, stage there. That's they, wonderful. Yeah. I got to be. Uh, a clogger. What was the name of Johnston? The Lord, he'd say, I imagine. What was his <laughs> name? Anyway, uh, I guess they're still there uh, with uh, doing, I know they're going to have the bean blossom in Indiana, but I don't know what they're doing in Rosine and where Bill Monroe, they were putting together Bill Monroe's, they had his house. You know, I was there yeah. and worked with them. They did all that. And uh, then I'd take the broadcast music incorporated packages up to different ones that worked with Bill Monroe and some of the older yeah. famous, his mother and uh, his, uh, uh, I guess his son's uh, wife and sister. And I got to meet all them backstage and uh, all that. But you know how we'd have all those people come? Uh, maybe you don't, but we I don't know if how familiar you are with the Bill Monroe Foundation or all the people, but there in Rosine where he had, he'd come back and play with the Bluegrass Boys at the barn in Rosine. Oh, it was a very famous yeah. thing. And yeah. uh, so we got 
lots of famous musicians in and out of there, and then they'd pull their RVs up there in the hills of Rosine right there. So there's an yeah. annual deal with Doc yeah. Mercer. But you said him on RFD TV, right? I, I've seen Mercer's show many, many times on RFD TV. Yeah, I always enjoyed it. He had he had some really good uh, bluegrass people coming through there. Was he still telling when you uh, went on the? Was he starting? Did he? uh, I haven't watched it in years because I've been down here. Well, I haven't either. I don't know if it's current currently playing or not, uh, Teresa. I don't either uh, because Doc was having trouble with his back, like you and me. I had me and him both had surgery about the same time on our backs, but yet I was helping him and he was helping me down through the stage and the hills and over to his <laughs> camper. And then we gradually got the, the city or county got a, a cedar cabin like mine. I talked to him about it, but he got a cedar cabin. I had a cedar cabin, recommended it if they were going to put one up there. But yeah. I don't know what happened to him and Julie and the kids. I really don't know now. So, But that's our music story, folks. And uh, we had the... <laughs> International Bluegrass Music Incorporated, IBMA and CMA. I was a member of CMA, Country Music Association, IBMA. Oh, yeah. Did, yeah. You, join any of, did you join any of those? Or no, you never no, I didn't. No, I, I, I didn't. <laughs> I, I did go to Nashville once from Pensacola to pitch some songs, a few songs that I had written. But I didn't, you know, like most people, I didn't didn't do any good with it. Uh, didn't stay that what did long. You go went, the, pardon me. When did, when did you go? So now you uh, mentioned Pensacola. Uh, uh, I think it was probably uh, maybe around uh, 1990, sometime in there. Yeah. Well, let's see. No, I was. Where was I? I was over in Hawaii. Yeah, I didn't get up there till uh, let's see, I started driving a truck in 94, and I was assigned to my husband then. So that's how I wound up in the hills of Kentucky because of the man I had to track for the Navy and Army and DOD and Pentagon. <laughs> track him through the hills of Kentucky. The men in black and the helicopters couldn't keep up with him. He was riding all over the place. He ran out his kidneys running California to, well, Jersey to California. I ran some of those, and it's hard to keep up with him because he wouldn't stop. <laughs> but he ran for Johnson & Johnson, too. Uh, yeah. The president there loved Johnson & Johnson. They loved Tom up there in Jersey yeah. running coast, coast 28-hour runs. and Ridiculous. Couldn't do it. Well, uh, with you, you mentioned Pensacola, and I know you've had – let's go into health and wellness, well-being. Now, you had okay. open-heart surgery. So yeah, and then yeah. tell us about your Pensacola, and we got to get back to your Army brother too. Uh, okay, yeah. About 1989, uh, I, I had a double bypass surgery at the uh, uh, West Florida Hospital, I believe it was called there in Pensacola, and uh, did a bypass on me and. Uh, so later on, uh, that that put me back in, in, in shape. And then when I left Florida and went back to Georgia, I had, as the years went by, I had some subsequent subsequent uh, surgeries. Uh, 
like like so many people, I had a stent put behind my heart, and then I have an aortic, a man-made aortic valve now that I uh, had put in in Chattanooga, and uh, also had a bleeding problem uh, in the small intestine that they operated and uh, uh, found uh, a blood where it was leaking blood. And so I survived all of that. I've been very, very fortunate, very, very fortunate, as a matter of fact. So I've uh, I've been doing quite well now for about three years, I guess, I've been away from that. So, well, um, health and well-being, your health brought you to Pensacola. Is that what you're saying, to West Florida Hospital? Yeah, that's they do I heart had surgery. My, I had the bypass surgery there. And then I had the, the the most recent heart surgery was in the Chattanooga Memorial Hospital in Chattanooga, Tennessee. It's where I had the aortic valve put in and uh, a stent behind the uh, the heart also was put in there. So it took a while to get over that, and uh, but I did, and I was, I was very fortunate, very blessed to to get to be able to get around again and do what I wanted to do. What year did you do Pensacola, and what year did you do Chattanooga, and how long did it take you? Did they get you up walking immediately? Because people that heard about heart surgery, and I'm getting up at that age, too, because I'm going to be 70, so sometimes they'll fix this. I'm already a cyborg. I got titanium <laughs> in my neck, but I don't have it in my back, but uh, yeah. or no, yeah. not yet, no stents yet. So uh, maybe, how long maybe did it be... take you to Go ahead. To, uh, to get over it. Uh, well, it took, uh, let's see, I would walk, my wife would walk with me there in Pensacola every day for a mile pretty quickly after we had the surgery. And I'd say maybe six or eight months away from that surgery, I was pretty functional back uh, to the point where we could still go out and, and uh play a little music or to a fish fry or, or go to a nightclub and dance a little bit with the wife and the others. Oh, and, my. You're a dancer, yeah. too. Well, well we you're just, just a jack of know. all trades. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't pros. We just had fun, you know. <laughs> Is your wife but, still alive today? Uh-huh. Yes, she's 84 also. Well, you didn't tell me that. Congratulations. Yeah, uh, yeah we've been, How we've long been kicking. Been... We got married in 1959. How long y'all so, been married? So how many uh, years is about, that, 70? About 60 years or so, yeah. 60 uh, to 20 is yeah. a, uh, 60, yep, 61. <laughs> Lord of mercy, look at you. She said it takes a long time to grow a husband. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It does. <laughs> I agree with her. I've been through a few. <laughs> yeah, you understand then, don't you? <laughs> yeah, mine wouldn't stay alive long enough for me to get anything going. They were they died on me. And yeah, I wasn't no. even, you know, I'm, that's hard on a woman, you know. It's but, really, uh, really, really hard. Yeah, again, I commend you. I don't you think I'm up to <laughs> You've uh, you've you've got a lot going on, and I I think it's wonderful that, that you're doing all these things. Well, I think it's wonderful that you've lived this long and can share all these <laughs> topics so far. You've hit on, and we're just touching the surface, like Richard said. You know, we hadn't got into all the details yet. <laughs> so, 
Richard, about the Army, now we got to learn about this brother in the Army. Was he down here in Pensacola or Georgia? Where was this Army? Back in Chatsworth, Georgia. And uh, there was a man that came back from World War II by the name of Tom Winkler. Winkler, and he, he was a paratrooper. And my brother was a timber cutter and a talc mill worker, and he knew uh, Tom uh, because uh, Tom had dated one of my older sister's son, and uh, Corky got to know him. This particular brother had a nickname of Corky. His name was Virgil Alvin Pelham, but uh, Corky is what he went uh, in the family is what he was known by. But he was impressed with, he'd asked uh, Tom about his uh, paratrooper experience, and he was impressed with that. So when he got about 18 years old, uh, he went and joined the Army and and asked to be a paratrooper. And he went to Fort Campbell and took took the training and uh, started working his way up through the ranks. And uh, uh, he had something like a 1,000 jumps out of the airplane, and uh, he had two different tours in the Korean War. And then, as I told you uh, separately, he was on the uh, in that battle of uh, Pork Chop Hill in the, that they made the movie about, and uh, he survived that. So as far as I know, uh, Corky didn't have any wounds or anything. I never heard him talk about that other than the mental scarring uh that you get from being under pressure and everything in the, in the Army. He had some distress like that. Uh, he retired back to Fort Bragg, uh, North Carolina, after uh, 20 years, and he was a master sergeant. And uh, he, uh, it's strange, from a talc miller and a sawmiller uh, to a paratrooper and selling insurance. He actually started selling insurance on uh, moonlighting uh, somewhere along the line. So when he got over to Fort Bragg, he continued to, he was a, a insurance agent there. And uh, he was working with that until a heart attack like uh, most of our boys had the arterial uh, uh, clogging and whatnot. We were plagued with that. And a heart attack got him and took him out so he couldn't do the insurance anymore. It took him a while to get over that, and and then he had a, uh, another problem with his heart, and went through a second surgery, and then one day he was launching his ship. He loved to fish. He was launching his uh, boat, and the boat kind of pulled. It was running, and it kind of extended him out a little bit away from, as it as it was kind of getting away from him, and he he had a heart. Uh, massive heart attack and just died right on the spot there so he died and then the, he had two sons one practicing uh, uh, anesthesiologist today over there uh, he had brain tumor that he had taken out and survived that his oldest son was a cartographer uh, had graduated uh over at the University of North Carolina and was already involved in the map making and whatnot. He was 40 years old, shaving to go to work one morning and dropped dead with a heart attack. So <laughs> that left this one boy that's still alive over there. So that's pretty much Do you have any kids? 
Yeah, well, he had two boys, and one was the doctor that survived the brain tumor, and then his oldest son that, that had just gotten uh, out of his uh, master's or doctorate degree, whatever he had, uh, as a cartographer. And uh, he he was getting ready to roll and uh, had uh, working with some mountain making in, in England. And uh, then he was shaving one day in, in uh, North Carolina and dropped dead while he was shaving. He was 40 years old. And he had been to a karate class the night before that. He was uh, really looking at him. He looked very healthy and very strong. But the, the arterial disease uh, ran through us. There were six siblings in my family, six of us, that had open-heart surgery. And uh, one of them, one, one sister, my, one of my older sisters, had open-heart surgery. So uh, we, uh, we, if they, the the blood pressure thing and uh, arterial disease uh, really took a, a grip on us, you know. That's wow. kind of my medical, yeah. That's about my medical story there, Theresa. <laughs> that's a good one, and everybody's, they say everybody's got one, so <laughs> but yeah, I don't know if everybody's got a music, but history, we we know we got a history usually something to do with our health, our body, right, and yeah. our spirit. Yeah. We'll talk more about spirit Sunday if you'd like to come back. But let's just touch quickly, Richard, like this. Okay. Tell us how you got that strange website looking at the moon on this <laughs> on this part of the show. Okay. Uh, okay. The uh, I wanted to set that up as a, like a family uh, history family uh, history uh-huh. place. So I put a little bit of our family history on there. And so I had this picture of my da- uh, dad. Uh, he's he's the one that squatted down, pouring whiskey into a, a funnel, which was going into a barrel, and some more kids around it. And uh, he, all of them are dressed good, and uh, dad even had a tie on, but it looked like about a 16 or 17 year old boy. So I thought I would use that, uh, and. Uh, working in art development for a couple of years here in Dalton, Georgia, as an independent contractor. I learned a little yep. bit about how to how to use the uh, Photoshop stuff, you know, the program. And, uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I took that experience, and uh, I, I, I purchased, like you'll do in art development, the, you buy there's companies as you know you you can buy photographs of all kinds of images so i got one of a uh, like a moonlight night and then i superimposed that picture of my dad pouring that whiskey on it and then just worked with the transparency of it till i got it like like you see it there and i just wanted it wow. to look like they're out in the moonlight you're doing that you know so that's the story on that well, you're quite the artist. You're a mixed media artist. Well, I, you know, I don't feel like I'm anything great at all, but I've uh, just been blessed and been able to learn a few things as, as I've gone along. You know, most of it just just from personal incentive, you know, and personal uh, get up and go or personal interest. I'd say. It, uh, so, how much uh, do you uh, know about Photoshop? You did Photoshop. Uh, I don't know. You did- I, 
I'm not really highly proficient in it, but I was good enough to uh, to work and put images uh, in a place where they didn't really weren't really there, but you could put them there and uh, work with a you know just uh, when we were working in art development, uh, a man had some proprietary material. Uh, he founded the uh, Healthier Choice Flooring Company here in Dalton. Carl Pote, and he had an idea that he wanted to, uh, he had some particular fabrics he wanted to to try to market uh, some of his ideas. He, he saw a, uh, he was looking at a picture of some mountain sheep at a certain angle, and I don't know where he was, where he saw it, but he said the thing looked like it was looking at him no matter where he was, and he thought of that material that he had and he, he wanted to find somebody that could uh, could do the Photoshop and run the uh, the wide format printer. We had a, a wide format printer. And so I had to kind of go and learn that and try to get a little help to work through that. But I got to where I could work at it pretty well. And I, so I had that experience before I put that website up. I was already building websites uh a few years before that, with the just drag and drop, uh, they these days you. That's a heritage. You said that heritage uh, in '96 started about time Windows '96, Windows '95. But you said heritage, right? Uh, well, I was with the the one I've used. Uh, I've used others, but I've used the uh, Homestead.com uh, software. Oh. That I used. Yeah, homestead. Then whatever my homestead. interests were, uh, if I had an interest in something, I just built my own website, and uh, and I was I was used to uh, working with images, so I didn't have any trouble doing that. So that's kind of did you learn the way that. HTML? Uh, what language took, did you use? I took one lesson and bought a book and learned just a little bit about it, the rudiments of it. Uh, but uh, they, they have programs what now. Pardon me. What language was it? PHP. Yeah, HTML. It was called uh, hypertext HTML. markup language or something like that. Yeah, HTML. But, yeah. Well, when they they yeah. have these good good drop uh, drag and drop programs now that are just really easy to work with. You don't have to go to school forever to learn the HTML and the other things. They have other, uh, it's even advanced beyond that, that uh, people in, that do intricate, important science and whatnot, they're deep into the science of it. But for what I was doing, the drag and drop worked well. It still does. For, uh, for photographs and artwork is drag and drop, yeah. We use C++ or more if around, you know, people want to deep, and Python is very popular. Of course, we got, they say Android or Python for the phones, but, you know, uh, we mostly and most of the people doing all the work, uh, we go on GitHub, G-I-T-H-U-B, and we have Creative Commons, which... You know we have, and then we we use uh, WordPress, a nonprofit, yeah. W-O-R-D-P-R-E-S-S, yeah. WordPress, um, and we use the templates, and everybody yeah. helps and makes them, and uh, so that's what I use, and then I I back up on Linux, L-I-N-U-X, 
Linux. Yeah, yeah. But then most people use Windows 95 in their desktop publishers. But I was impressed that anybody that does Adobe anything, because that's what we used to use up in the yeah. hills of Kentucky in our newspapers, right? Yeah. To drag, uh-huh. like you said, to fix pictures and yeah. all of that is yeah. Adobe and the little weekly newspapers. Now, Sounds like uh, you what were deeper have... into it than, than I was. You, you're more, no. you've had more, more experience in it than I did for sure. No, not Adobe. I was the writer. I was the uh, contributor. I was the reporter. I'm a journalist. Oh, so I'm more okay. of a reporter. And then yeah. I'd take a photographer with me on my That's assignments. Cool. Even up there yeah. with Bill Monroe, I was the reporter and uh, had a photographer with me. I and see. then we'd take it back to the weekly uh, newspapers. It'd be the Beaver Dam or the uh, Ohio County. We had the Times News in Hartford. And then we had some over in the other little towns down the road that I worked with. And then when I was running a magazine, I went all up in Kentucky, up around Bourbon, where they had all the bourbon and stuff up there north, north <laughs> Louisville, where they did the magazine. So yeah, we did magazines, cool. and we put all those pictures and people that were doing the music and stuff. Yeah, I got into it for years, uh, weekly publishing and newspapers and all that. So with your website, what year did you start doing – because in 84, uh, what year no, I, did you start doing computers? Oh, I didn't. Uh, I uh, bought my first used little computer was probably probably 94 or 95, long in there. Wow. Yeah, for, uh, so you're already retired. Yeah, long in there is where I started uh, doing it. And then uh, I would... Uh, Try to to do some drag and drop and put some little sites together and uh, I built a few sites for people. Uh, one one site later on I did for my medical doctor in Chatsworth for him, and uh, I did uh, I did some bluegrass sites for for friends and, ah. and neighbors and whatnot that that are in music. And whatnot. You did. Yeah. yeah, stuff like in that. In Georgia? Yeah. So you you helped the bluegrass community in Georgia? Yeah, uh, we had a bluegrass festival here on, uh, you remember I mentioned Don and Pam Petit, the guy that went down to see Raymond Fairchild and Pam to play the banjo yeah. in Dalton. <clears throat> they live on a, out uh, on a, a a farm, it's a 150-acre farm out in the, the country, northeast of Dalton. I live on that farm uh, with them. They're my landlords. And uh, we became friends uh, when he started taking banjo lessons for me before I came here. And uh, so he had a, a bluegrass, uh, he had a bluegrass park, uh, like an RV park, that we put up a site for him, and, and then he had uh, he had a blue. Let's see, petite. I'm trying to think what it bluegrass festival. He had a festival he ran three years here. We'd have bluegrass pickers come in here, and I'd help him some with that. Do the on the administrative side of it, and what yeah. Not. So, 
picked up some experience there. And he had a uh, wow. He had him in a little I'm cabin. Yeah, he put a a dance floor out, like a cement dance floor, where the bands would be when they come. And uh, that it was it was really really neat. Uh, you could hear the music going through the trees and woods. Uh, uh, Why I wrote you- a song. I wrote a little song uh, for uh, for for Don and Pam. Uh, that has the theme of of the Bluegrass Festival, and uh, so anyway, we became good friends and uh, put those sites up for him. There's a couple of sites still still running for him. I built him a business website, also a little business website for his Potique uh, Brothers uh, Construction. He's still in business here to this day. They've had a construction uh, business uh, mostly paid in, I guess now. For thirty something years that they have, and so they're they're good friends, and and like I said, I built those little sites for them. So I just picked a little experience up here, and a little here, and a little there, you know. Learn as so we go. Doing, that's amazing that you have, you're so talented and you're so, uh, gosh, multitasking along the way. So you never stopped using that brain of yours, you know, and I'm impressed that you got involved with computers, you know, because you'd already well, retired from the Navy, right? You retired I, I, and you were, yeah. you were home. And I think 90, so what were you doing when you started all this computer work? Because that's my gig, right? I, that's I, how I, I got into all this the, the computer work, uh, I was doing that when I was doing the, uh, the banjo playing. And I built a website called Banjo Nexus, uh, which was a site uh, where I had my members on there and uh, their input and whatnot. Yeah. So I was doing, that's where I started the, the website stuff. And, and like I Banjo mentioned you, pardon me? You started the computer site. Your first one was Banjo Nexus. That and you had my, members. That, that that was my uh, what I call my business for teaching banjo and guitar, and so that was the website mm-hmm. that I put up. It, the name of the domain was uh, banjonexus.com. Nice. It, it, how far is Dalton from Valdosta? How far is Dalton from Richard? How far is Dalton from Richard in Valdosta, Georgia? Oh, Valdosta. You know? probably three hundred miles, right about. Oh. That's a place. Yeah, okay. I've been to Valdosta. My sister used to live there. Really? Yeah. The guy, oh. there was a man on uh, Bonanza. Do you remember the man on Bonanza? Part of the family, uh, the older person. Lauren Green? Uh, uh, Lauren Green? He was the dad. But he had the boy, Hall. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know had, his name. He had the young boy. But it Adam was went, other, Adam. Adam. And then Mike. Uh, Adam, uh, yeah. He was from Valdosta also. I met him. I met uh, all of them. And he was in Monroe, Louisiana. I was so happy. So you remember Bonanza. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I've watched it uh, for years. <laughs> Adam was from Dalton, Georgia, huh? Pardon me? Uh, you said he, Adam. He, He's from Valdosta, Valdosta, Georgia. Oh, Adam was from Valdosta. That's where Richard is. Richard? Richard, do you know that? 
Richard, I've been no, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? You know what we're talking about, Richard? Are you too young? Richard's my age, about five Richard, years old. I know Richard. all about Bonanza. Come on now. <laughs> oh my. Get on yeah, the that's the that's the one when the aliens, you know, decided to take over a ranch and they and they, and they shot down all these people and they, and they became the cart racks, right? That's the one. Aliens and cowboys. That was that movie. <laughs> aliens and cowboys. Well, uh, Richard, you want to? You know, I don't know how much time we got, Richard. Are we about out of time already? Yeah, we got about six minutes. Oh, my gosh. I told you it'd go by fast, didn't I? It goes by fast. Lord of mercy. Well, I guess I'll have to come back Sunday. Now, Richard and I like to do spiritual stuff, but uh, we may get into all the different languages of spirit that you've worked with. Richard, tell us about Sunday. What have you got planned? That's or a Sunday go to meeting, but for him, they uh, we'll get into that because he he does Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, but Sunday is his first day of the week. So, but we can get into that, Richard. You know how different world religions and think yeah, different we'll, ways. We'll discuss this. We'll discuss this uh, by phone rather than doing this okay. on, on live on the air. But we got only got a few minutes, so I was going to plug Sunday, which is. Well, well Friday, sure. I mean, that's, that's 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 our spiritual day where we basically hold our spiritual meetings where we discuss everything that's spiritual, and that's a wide array of conversations and topics and everything else. So, I mean, everything from uh, near-death experiences to out-of-body experiences to uh, coming and going. Um, you know, uh, spiritual experiences with That's angels, it. spiritual experiences with, ent- you know, divine beings, entities, all of these kind of things. And, uh, you know, anything anything and everything that is spiritual, whether it be a, an actual experience, whether it be an actual belief, whether it be, you know. Uh, and like uh, Teresa said, you know, we, we do touch on world religions to some extent. Of course, we're based in Christianity. Of course, we're over here in the... North America and the Western world, you know, and, and of course the majority of us are all raised Christian to begin with, and uh, that's right. So we yeah. do touch on that as well, you know, because we recognize that, you know, we have a mother and father God, and we we of course uh, recognize Christ and all of that, and so you yeah, know, that, uh, but that'd be an interesting. Uh, it'll be interesting to sit in with you, Richard. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you can bring to the table all of your various spiritual experiences and, and maybe experiences with UFOs or extraterrestrials or whatever else you want to add to the mix. I mean, you know, uh, it just, we all uh, have whenever down the line when you want to get off into the uh, to the alien stuff or the extraterrestrial stuff, I'll be, be glad to do that. Okay. Wow. On the Sunday show? Yeah, on the Sunday show. Now, he's got a site, folks, that you can go and look at. Uh, Benny, give them your weird site, that moon. Oh, okay. Go look at the moon stuff. Yeah. The, What's the, that moon the, one? 
it, the, the, the one with the little with the little gray extraterrestrials on it. It's called <laughs> E. It's called ET is here dot com. And uh, ET is that, here dot com. Boy, that's ET a is that's here dot com. That means that's he's here topic. with us. And the other e. one is. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Teresa. You said uh, how many websites you got? Well, I have the other uh, research site called PelhamPlanetaryResearch.com, and that's where I have the uh, uh, the the main thing I have on there is the uh, important. Uh, uh, Industrial complex that I was able to find in the in the north polar of Earth's moon. I've got uh, really very good photographs on there, and I've got instructions. Did you say there's an industrial complex on Earth's moon? Is that Absolutely. what you said to me? And I got what? about sixteen photos of it on the on PelhamPlanetaryResearch.com. And I've never bottom, had that said to me. And at the bottom of the, <laughs> yeah, it's there. It is there, and I even give instructions on how anybody can do this. Can go there and, and see those, uh, see that in that uh, industrial complex. The other thing wow. is, I call, I'll call it the mystery of mysteries. And on my website, you'll find a picture of the two poles of uh, Uranus. They call it. Uh, Uranus, I call it, but uh, that's not too cool to say that these days to to play on words. But uh, he, uh, he, it's I see U U R A N E U S. I believe I'm spelling it right. Uh, but anyway, it's on there, and on both poles of Uranus, uh, there's a there's a mechanism on there that looks like a big. Uh, it's almost like a front of a camera like a camera's eye or either like a a huge combination lock that I was able to draw out using uh, NASA photographs uh, that are used in the uh, they have an application made by Microsoft it's called WorldWideTelescope.com and the globe they have in there and the image they used uh, I took that image in my and my experience working with the images and was able to draw out what was really on those poles. So that 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 planet it's a it's a giant gas planet. It must be a machine of some sort uh to have that combination lock thing on both ends of it. And uh, I I'd leave it to others to say how old that place is but uh, if a person's looking for intelligent design, they need to check Uranus on my website there. Wow. you're We're just getting into the – we just skinned the surface with 84 years old. There. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> into the good stuff. Huh? Oh, my gosh. We're talking bases on the moon and Uranus got – oh, my yeah. gosh. I well, yeah. I guess this is the right radio show, folks. TJ Mars ET Radio, and ET is here, and we ET may be talking here. to one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it. 
My goodness. Yeah. Well, does your family and all your ancestry and you got that other person you invited to come on? What's his name? And we're yeah, going to have to have an ancestry uh, show. I, I asked uh, Don Poteet, and uh, I have a niece in Pensacola. Uh, Jennifer you Hartman. Yeah, and Jennifer Tanner, another niece in Dalton. I, I, I invited them to come on, and my brother in, uh, in the villages down around Orlando invited him to come along, and uh, that brother's daughter, Lori, uh, it lives in Dalton here. I invited her. Now, how many of them actually came on? I, I couldn't say, but I, I did give and them the invitation. Didn't see any, but, uh, you pass them the information, and then they may want to, if they're into what you just said, they may come on Sunday too. Who knows? Well, we'll just, <laughs> you may build yourself a following like you did on that banjo Unix. Who knows? Banjo Unix. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> You never know, Vinny. Yeah. Uh, I post his Ace Folk Life because I don't know where else to start a person's life except their folklore and their Ancestry.com. Yeah, yeah. That's good. That's Janet's that's doing people, Ancestry. Uh, they can see where we're coming from. That's that's true. Now and then, the picture... uh, we'll start all the weird stuff, the supernatural and the tech and the AI. I call my digital data stuff but i have that with american communications online but i'll uh i'll be more than happy to talk to you about you know if you've got subjects uh i broke mine down for you and i told you usually we do uh ufo stuff fridays but uh sunday will be spirituality day and i think et because my show's tjmrct radio i reckon we can do et anytime so we'll <laughs> we just get into that sunday <laughs> We can interject him, can't we? <laughs> we can turn a few of them in. <laughs> All right. Now that's going to be 5 to 7, folks. Sunday, we'll be back Sunday, 5 to 7. All right. I have people sitting at my door. I'm going to start this bluegrass train. All right, Benny, we'll see you back here Sunday with Richard. Yep, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it, Benny. Thanks for all our listeners. Nice to be with you. Say the bluegrass trains are coming from Beaverdale down to Alabama. The bluegrass trains are coming. Bluegrass trains are coming. Long, long train running. It's a Lester Flat and Earl Scruggs, Ralph Stanley, Kevin Hugg, the bluegrass trains are coming.
From the 